Well, hey guys, I'm Hillary, uh, and I'm really glad to be with you guys here today. And thanks for coming to participate with us. Thanks for joining us in person. Thanks for joining us online. Um, it just means a lot to be together in community. And I'm going to jump us right in today by reading scripture for us, our scripture passage, and then we're going to continue on this series. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Colossians 1. And we're going to be reading verses 15 to 23. And then, obviously, if you don't, you already can see it here. The verses are on the screen, so no worries if you don't have your Bible. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And that's the reading of God's word. So we are in the middle of our series, This is Hope, right? And in this sermon series, this is where we're looking at what God has been doing throughout history. And we have a God who's on a mission, right? He's on a mission to bring himself glory, but also to bring us into himself. And quite frankly, what we're doing here at Hope is simply a part of what God has been doing throughout history, right? So that's why when we're linking our values, right, of Christ, community, and compassion, you can see any one of those throughout any point of history um, because they're inherently a part of who God is. They're a part of his character. Uh, and so today we are going to be moving into talking about our value of compassion, and God is deeply compassionate. He is on a mission, um, and he is full of compassion. He's made that clear throughout his word. We can see so many examples of this in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and the New Testament. But we can also see examples of this throughout the series that we've already talked about, right? So we started talking about Genesis um, and creation and the idea that God was compassionate to create us in his image, and he is, uh, created us and said it was good, and he's created us to provide every one of our needs for us. Um, he was so compassionate to give us good things in creation as well. And then we moved on to talk about sin and the fall, and that even though we turned our face from God, God did not turn his face from us, even though um, we, yeah, decided we wanted to try to do it on our own. He came toward us and he found us. Then we moved on to Abraham and the call of Abraham, and that even though God called him and Abraham turned uh, from him. God was faithful to Abraham and the covenant that he made to produce nations from Abraham's offspring. And then last week we talked about the Israelites 
and that time and time again, God remembers his covenant with Abraham. And that despite the faithlessness and how unfaithful the Israelites were to God, uh, God was relentless to not destroy the Israelites. He just was not willing to banish them from his presence, and that was his compassion, right? So that's where we are in the story, which brings us to today. And today we are at the climax of God's story. And we hit the climax because this is where God does his absolute greatest act of compassion. He sends his son to live among us, to die for us, and to reconcile us to himself. It's the greatest act of compassion in the history of the world. God himself wrote himself into the story. He put on flesh and dwelt among us so that he could ultimately, once and for all, alleviate our suffering and alleviate the fact that we were apart from him in relationship. And last week when Devlin preached a five-point sermon, right, this week we're swinging the pendulum to the other side. It's a one-point sermon, and here it is. Are you guys ready? Jesus is God's greatest act of compassion. That's it. That's the one-point sermon. If there's anything I want you guys to remember today, it, uh, it is that Jesus is God's greatest act of compassion, and God wants us to receive this compassion. So we're done. I'm going to close us in prayer, and we can head out. No, I'm kidding, but I'm actually a little bit serious, too. That really is what our entire sermon is about today, and we're going to spend the rest of the time really digging into what this scripture text tells us about God, what it shows us about God, and then also what it means for us today. And we're going to bounce a little bit around the text that I read, so I'm going to refresh us and reread the verses as we go. So um, stick with me, hang in with me there, there as we bounce around Colossians. So let's dive in. You guys ready? Great. Okay, so why was sending his son the greatest act of compassion? I think that's a valid question if that's going through your mind right now. And let me start by saying that the definition of compassion is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress with a desire to alleviate it. Empathy is great and compassion are great, but they are a little different, and I want to distinguish them. Empathy is simply having an awareness and an understanding of the distress of others. Compassion is empathy in action. It takes empathy into doing something about the problem that you're understanding that somebody has. It goes further. And God is compassionate because he created us to live life complete and in full relationship with him, unseparated and uninhibited. And as we talked about in the second sermon in this series, when we talked about sin, our lives are not in this perfect peace or this shalom with God, right? And quite frankly, you guys don't need me to tell you that in the sermon today. We can all experience that and we feel that in our daily lives. We see it in the longings that we have that go unfulfilled. We see it in the frustrations that we have that come up even towards the people that we care about most, that we love. We can see it in our inability to do the things that we want to do and our really great ability to do the things that we don't want to do. We can feel it in that struggle. And God knows that it's impossible for us to get out of that situation. He knows that life apart from him is no life at all and that, quite frankly, we are in this hopeless situation where we need help. He was sympathetic to that situation. 
And, like we said, he moved into action to do something about it. God himself put on flesh and dwelt among us. And verses 19 to 22 in our text says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. God being full of compassion alleviated once and for all this suffering. And he did it in the, way, the only way that was possible. He knew that an intermediary wouldn't do. And why? why? What does that mean? Well, this is the greatest act of compassion because God is just and loving. So God is just. So in order for us to actually be reconciled and to be forgiven for our sins, a debt had to be paid. A punishment for the crime, if you will. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So that means that the payment for sin is death. So he couldn't just cancel it. He couldn't just say, no sweat, we'll push it under the rug, it's fine, we'll start over. Or else he isn't a God of justice. He's not upholding the justice. But God is so loving that he willingly took on that debt, that punishment, that payment himself, despite Jesus' innocence. You see, it had to be Jesus that paid that debt and took on that punishment for us because he is the only human in the history of the world to be sinless. You see, the only person free from blemish took on our blemishes so that in the view of God, we might be seen as holy in his sight, as blemish-free, as free from accusation, this is the greatest act of compassion because the one who is in complete relationship with God, in that perfect shalom with God, experienced the eternal separation. He experienced the abandonment of God where God turned his face from him so that we might experience eternal relationship with God and never be forsaken so that we will never experience God turning his face from us. And God was just so moved by his love for us that he suffered for us so that we might one day no longer suffer. This is God's compassion. And God wanted to show us this compassion in his heart and his fullness. We can see this in our text that he chose to do this. Verse 19, reading it again, says, God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. And the word pleased here means that he chose to do it. He was willing to do it because he knew the benevolence that would come out of this choice. God was pleased to give us his compassion, and he wants us to receive it. Honestly, it's a little bit like when we choose and we're pleased to give somebody a gift, right? Nobody gives somebody a gift because they want them to not ever get the gift. We don't buy a gift and prepare a gift so that we keep it for ourselves, and we don't buy a gift and give it to somebody so that they reject it from us. No. We buy a gift for someone and we prepare it because we know them and we love them, right? 
And it's even in the preparing of the gift that we get really excited, right? We get full of joy and we're pleased to even prepare the gift. Think about it, right? The next time or the last time that you gave a birthday gift or some other type of gift to somebody, you thought about what would bring them joy, that when they received this thing, that they would be elated. And even in the, whether it's purchasing it on Amazon and just waiting for it to come in those two days that you're waiting or putting it in the box and wrapping it, don't you start to get a little bit giddy and excited to give this gift to somebody? But then finally the day comes where you're giving them the gift and they open it and they receive it with joy and gratitude. Isn't that the point where our joy as the gift giver, isn't that when it swells, right? It's actually in the receiving of the gift that our joy as the giver becomes complete. And so it is with God. He was pleased to dwell in Christ, and therefore he's pleased for us to receive Christ as a gift. He's pleased for us to receive his compassion as a gift. And this is not a naive pleasure, and it's not a naive choice. Christ was well aware of the costliness of his death, and he still chose to do it. He was still pleased to do it. And that's because Christ knew the good that would come out of his compassionate sacrifice, and he wanted us to receive it. So why is it so hard for us to receive the compassion, right? Why do we feel hesitant? Why do we sometimes reject it? I think for each of us, the answer to that question is going to be a little bit different, and that's okay. And I do think that we should process through why individually it's hard to receive, that we should ask God to show us that and pray that, with God, but I think beneath all of those answers, there's a commonality. And I think it might be hard for us to receive God's compassion because it requires us to admit our need for it. And admitting our need for it is really challenging. It's a lot harder, it's a lot easier to give compassion, right? When we give somebody compassion, it means that we have some sort of control over the situation. It means that we've got um, something to give. We've got maybe some comfort or power in the situation, right? We're not experiencing that exact same need as the person that we're giving compassion to. But it's a lot harder to receive because receiving the compassion means that we're admitting that we're not the strong one in the room. It means that we have to ask for the help. And it means that we have to admit that we are tired, we're weak, we're limited, we're full of blemishes. It requires a lot of humility. But the great thing about God's compassion is that it is for the needy. God's compassion is for the weak and the weary and the tired. And that's not to say that when we are in seasons where it feels like things are good, and we are operating maybe out of a little bit of strength. Um, it's not to say that God's compassion doesn't touch us there and reach us there. It certainly does. But I say this to say that even in those seasons, we have a need for the self-sacrificing Savior named Jesus, even if we don't realize that we have that need. And it's actually in our need that we experience God's compassion fully. If we don't admit our need, we diminish our sin, 
and we cheapen Jesus' grace for us on the cross. In doing that, we reject God's compassion. And just like any act of compassion, it is only those who ask for help that actually receive it. So it's only when we admit that we are far worse than we ever imagined that we also realize that we are all far more loved than we could ever hope to be. But even in these realizations, we are quick to forget. We're quick to forget our need. We're quick to forget God's compassion and his love for us. And we need to be reminded of this compassion often. And the great news is that when we need to be reminded of God's compassion and what it looks like, we simply need to look at Jesus. Because just like in verse 15 says, it says that he is the image of the invisible God. Now all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us a great picture of what God's compassion looks like. And I encourage all of us to read them regularly because we need to be reminded. But today I'm going to read for us Matthew 15 verses 29 to 38 because I think it shows us a really beautiful picture of what God's compassion is for us. So here's Matthew 15, verse 29 to 38. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the, disciple, the disciples picked up the seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. What does this show us about what God's compassion looks like? First, it shows us that God is eager to give his compassion. Jesus didn't wait around for them to ask for food or for somebody else to come up with the idea. He called his disciples over to them because he had compassion. He had compassion on the people who had come to him. He was proactive to give them this compassion before they ever even asked for it. It also shows us that God's compassion is abundant. His provision is more than we have the courage to ask for and more than we believe is possible. The crowd of people came to Jesus to experience healing, right? But he went further to provide them with food so that they weren't traveling hungry. He knew their needs better than they did. And he was delighted to provide. He was pleased. He chose to do it. 
Then we have the disciples, right? The disciples questioned God's ability and the group's ability to provide for such a crowd. But God provided so much that they were left with seven basketfuls left over. He blew away what they could comprehend was possible. And I'd like to remind you that this group of disciples is the same group of disciples that had seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle, including healing all those people on the mountainside. They just saw him do that. And they'd already seen God feed 5,000. This is not the first time that this happened. And they still forgot and they still doubted. So, all that to say, God desires to be excessively compassionate to us. Even when we are forgetful or even when we are slow to ask, just like the people on the mountainside or the disciples. And before we move on from this passage and text, I want us to take a special note of the people who came to Jesus to receive his compassion. In Matthew, it said it was the lame, the blind, the crippled, and the mute. It was the people who had no special privilege in society. They had no skills, no ability, no standing, right? Jesus consistently shows special care to these people, and we have to note that. But today, before we move on, I don't want us to miss that above all, the people who received Jesus' compassion were the people who showed up, who humbled themselves before Jesus to come to the mountainside and ask for compassion. We don't know that these were the, the most in need people. There's not a gradient of what our needs need to be before we come to Jesus, right? It doesn't say that in the text. It's the ones who came. They certainly weren't the only lame, blind, crippled, or mute people in the world, but they were the ones who asked Jesus for his compassion. And so our job is to come to Jesus to humble ourselves before him and ask to receive this ministry of compassion from God. First and foremost, it is that to receive it. But it's not to receive it just for ourselves, but to show the world. God wants to be compassionate to us and through us, just like he was compassionate to the disciples and through the disciples. And again, our original text in Colossians, we're going back there. I said we were bouncing around a lot, right? So our original text in uh, Colossians shows us this in the life of Christ. In verse 16, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things in heaven, all things have been created through him and for him. All things. It repeats that a lot, right? All things were created in him through him and for him, and that includes us. So that means that we are not meant to be a community for ourselves, just like Devlin said last week. We build a community in Christ, for Christ, and through Christ. And, just like it says, if we are created by God in his image, and Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, then, through Jesus' life, we see what compassion is intended to look like for us. Now, because of sin, our compassion for others is always going to be messy and full of mistakes. We're never going to get it right. But God gives us a picture of what he intends our compassion to look like through the uh, ministry and life of Jesus. 
And as Christians, right, our ultimate need and our ultimate suffering, they've been met and they've been alleviated through Christ. So we are freed up and we are invited to join the ministry of compassion that God is doing in the world. We receive his compassion through active participation with him in it. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 23 when he says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. We continue in our faith by letting the compassion that we have received move us so deeply that it changes how we show compassion to others. We're not meant to hoard God's compassion for ourselves. We're meant to give it away, to pour it out on others. We're meant to do that individually, but also collectively as a local church community. God's compassion should change the way that we view our community here in Jersey City. It should change the way that we view our neighbors, our family members, our friends, our coworkers. It should help us view them the way that God views them as people for whom he is compassionate. And as individuals and as a church, we can show compassion to our neighbors in a variety of ways because we are imitating Christ. Christ was not limited in how he showed compassion. We see him be creative. We see him uh, think outside of the box. We see him be intentional. He intentionally planned his days around meeting the needs of others, around being compassionate towards them. And that means that if we are to imitate Christ in his compassion and in how we show compassion, we too must be intentional. We should plan for interruptions We should plan that these interruptions mean that we get to show compassion. And we should plan to slow down enough that we can actually notice the needs of those around us so that we can hope to alleviate them. And it also means that we'll need to create space and practice these spiritual rhythms so that we can remind ourselves of God's compassion for us. In many ways, I feel like it's really easy to compartmentalize our lives, right? We've got our lives here when we walk into a service on Sunday. We've got our weekend lives, our personal lives, our work lives, our uh, church lives. And it can make thinking about compassion a little bit difficult. It can make it feel less holistic. But there is compassion for us every single day and in every single thing that we do. And that includes Sundays and Sunday services, too. Every part of our service points us to the compassion that God has for us and has shown to us and wants us to receive. Whether it's the community that we walk into, the hellos, the community that you walk in with, that's a form of compassion. Whether it's the songs that we sing in worship, the prayers that we pray, the confessions that we make, the rest that our souls find. They're all compassion for us right now, and they're meant to point us to God's compassion for us daily. So today, just like Craig said, we're going to be doing communion. And communion is a reminder that our God went to great lengths to show compassion to us and to reconcile us to him. So when we eat the bread or the cracker or the wafer, It's a reminder that Christ compassionately reconciled us to himself.
Christ compassionately reconciled us to God through his physical body, through death, to present us holy in God's sight, without blemish and free from accusation. It's that reminder. And when we drink the juice or the wine, it's a reminder that Christ compassionately made peace for us through his blood shed on the cross. It's that reminder. So I'm going to invite the band back up and Craig up to lead us in communion so that we can partake in the Lord's Supper together. So that we can partake in the Lord's compassion for us together. And as we do, I want to pray for us to consider this compassion of God on display through Christ. And as I pray, I encourage you to pray to God and ask why this is hard for you to receive and that he might help you receive it. So let me uh, pray, and will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are compassionate, that you are moved to action by your love for us. And God, I thank you for the great lengths that you went to display the greatest compassion of all time, to reconcile us to yourself. God, we're tired and we are weary. We need your compassion. And we confess that things hold us up. It's hard for us to receive it. Would you make it clear to us why it's hard? And would you help us to receive your compassion that you chose to give, that you are pleased to give? And God, we thank you for the life of Christ, that it is our picture of your compassion. It is our evidence. It is what we look to when we want to know your love for us. So thank you, Jesus, for your costly, compassionate sacrifice. I pray that through communion right now, you would draw us in and draw us closer to you. I thank you that you've been on mission throughout history to show us your compassion and that you invite us to partake in that actively and also to join you in that mission. We pray all of these things in your son's holy name. Amen.